The Mind Itself is a podcast about mental health, mental health law, and how they affect all aspects of our daily lives. By taking a deeper dive into how our society deals with mental health medically, legally, and practically, listeners gain insight and information about one of America's most pressing and often overlooked issues that affects almost half of all adults in the United States. Hello there and welcome to the first episode of season two of the Mind Itself podcast. My name is John Whitbeck, your host. I'm very excited to be back after a short hiatus talking about the most important healthcare issue of our time, in my opinion, mental health, and trying to further our mission of destroying the stigma surrounding this important issue. Joining me today is my good friend, Dr. Michael Oberschneider a licensed clinical psychologist who is both in the treatment world as well as in forensics. And he's going to help us break down today what is a really important topic, and that is personality disorder, specifically narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Sean, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So today's episode we've titled My husband's a narcissist and my wife's a borderline. Thanks to you, Mike. I think it was your idea. It's a great way to talk about this from the perspective of two issues that I absolutely run into all the time. There is an incredible amount of interest in the issue of personality disorders in my domestic relations practice. There are countless articles written and podcasts and discussions about these topics. And I really wanted to do this for a long time because... I can't tell you how many times a year women come into my office and men for that matter. It's not just, just men that are narcissists. They come into my office and said, you know, my husband's a narcissist. And I can't tell you how many times men come in my office and say, my wife has borderline personality disorder. Right? Right. I looked it up online. I did my research and boy, it's unbelievable how many of the, the symptoms that they meet for borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. Right. And, you know, and, and half the time I have to say, look, let's really unpack that because these are real mental health issues. They're not just things you say when you're going through a bad divorce or a bad domestic relations case. So Mike, why don't we start with narcissistic personality disorder? Could you just give a brief history of it and define for us what it is and what people are looking at when they're talking about thinking that one of their spouses or someone they know is a narcissist who suffers from NPD? Sure. So when we're talking about personality disorders, we're talking about serious mental illness, right? So NPD, there are actually 10 personality disorders out there that we diagnose in the mental health field and that we see in the world. And the three most popular happen to be part of today's discussion, uh, BPD, borderline personality disorder, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, and obsessive compulsive personality disorder, OCPD. Those are the three top personality disorder in terms of prevalence, in terms of frequency of diagnosis for treatment and even during divorce. Those are the three top ones. So when we think about NPD, and there are lots of illustrations of NPD in in the literature and in film and movies and Netflix movies, it really it comes down to 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 simply to put it simply, it comes down to an individual having an inflated sense of you know self-importance, self-worth, a lack of empathy for others and a deep and excessive need for admiration and attention. So, you know, again, we could think of all sorts of people in, you know, from characters from movies that fit that description. But I think 
in real life. And I think what's really important when we talk about NPD or, or, or any personality, any of the, any of the 10 personality disorders is that you're right. Your clients come into your office and they come into my office and they say, my husband has this, my wife has this. And we're not sure. You're not sure. I'm not sure if they do have it. I mean, it really is, again, serious mental illness. It's one of the most serious forms of mental illness out there. And mental illness, just to elaborate a little bit on that, it really has to do, you know, there are two types, right? There's symptoms. Someone has depression, they have symptoms or anxiety. They have symptoms. And in anxiety disorder, they have symptoms consistent with that disorder. But the personality disorders are unique. It really doesn't have to do with symptoms. It has to do with the fabric of who someone is, right? How they think, how they feel, how they behave. So when, when folks come into your office and my office and they say, you know, my husband has this, my wife has that, it's possible and maybe even likely that they, they do have or do meet criteria for the formal disorder. But even if they don't, that person, you know, what that person is complaining about and beaten down by is being married to someone with a very complex personality style. They may have, that person may have the disorder or they may have features consistent with NPD or BPD. It's bad enough that they found you and they found me, right? So right. whether they have the full disorder or not doesn't matter to me as much, and it shouldn't matter, I don't think, to you as much. You know, these individuals who find us are clearly beaten down as a process of attrition that have happened, has happened for them in their marriage and, and, and in their families where they're worn down by the person's complex personality style or, or maybe disorder. So some of the things that I have started looking for when someone comes in and says, you know, my husband or my wife is a narcissist and I now being familiar with the science behind it. And it really is a science being that it is a real thing. It is a real disorder and the types of things that, that I look for. I've sort of developed a series of questions and a lot of it's based on what kind of the, the criteria that's been developed over the years. And it really goes back to DSM four, because I think in DSM five, which is kind of the Bible of psychology, They've really lumped right. all these personality disorders together into one discussion. Is that right? Yeah, things are in, in the literature. Things are moving more toward a spectrum and away from sort of the descriptive labels that we used to have. Even something like autism is now viewed more on a spectrum. But yes, personalities are being the, the way we see it. The researchers, the clinicians out there, there is this shifting in that direction. Sure. So here are the the nine criteria that I have looked at and that, that I've identified as part of the literature. And you know, for those of you listening along, you can sort of tick off each of the nine, whether someone you know has five or more of these, which I understand would be sort of the the, the benchmark for, for suffering from NPD. Is that right, Mike? In other words, five or more that's criteria. Right. Okay. That's so, right. And, and that's going back to the idea of the formal diagnosis, right? So, yeah, right. right. So to meet, to meet full criteria, you have to have enough of the criteria altogether to get you there. So number one, a grandiose sense of self-importance that's sort of like exaggerating achievements and talents and expect to be recognized as superior without having achievements that you so consider yourself uh, having achieved. Two, Preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Number right. three, believing that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or associated with high status people or other special people. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Number five, has a sense of entitlement. 
Number six is interpersonally exploitative, meaning taking advantage of others to their own ends. Right. Number seven, lacking empathy. Number eight, often envious of others and believes that others are envious of him or her. And number right. nine, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Mike, if I'm someone who suspects that my spouse, significant other, or someone that I know is meeting the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. Is there any of those nine criteria that I just listed off that are more looked at than others, or is it kind of an equal sharing of importance in terms of determining the criteria? I mean, I think they're all relevant. That's why they're all listed. And those criteria are listed off of the research. So a lot of research goes into what the DSM-5 or the ICD-10 is reporting, right? We're not guessing at this. These are the characteristics and traits consistently across tens of thousands of people assessed and evaluated, then we lump into these categories or we give these diagnoses to, right? So, but I, you know, again, the top three for me, those are all relevant and those are all needed. When I, what I've done is I've sort of taken all that and I've, I've lumped it into you know, the top three for me, which is this inflated self, you know, the self-importance really. That's what, when I'm listening for NPD and I'm really listening closely to hear, you know, does this dad or does this mom cross the threshold? Do they have such an inflated and exaggerated sense of self-importance? Do they consistently and pervasively uh, lack empathy and uh, for others? And do they constantly need this excessive admiration and attention? And th- and the key word for the personality for all ten personality disorders, the key word is pervasive. Again, it goes back to fabric. These aren't symptoms or moments like you know you're at Disney World with your kids and you get upset and, and you appear narcissistic and reactive, right? Or you're right. in a meeting and your, your co-workers see you in a meeting as being excessively needing admiration. These are moments. This is consistently who the person is all the time. Again, whether they're at home, they're in Disney World or at the office. And that, that, that is something that all 10 of the, the personality disorders have in common is that these pervasive ways, pervasive distorted ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving are there for the person. And then, of course, on the, the person, the wife or husband or kids, coworkers, friends, family members on the other side or on the receiving end of it are very negatively impacted by it, right? Right. Let me do a real-world application to this criteria. And I think you can do the same as you see. I'll, I'll do it in the sense of what I see in cases that I do. And you can do it the same of treatment that you do. And I'm just going to sort of think think of it this way. You know, for those of you listening, you know, let's let's pretend for a second that we're trying to apply this to a divorce or a family law case, which is probably where I see this the most. Most of my mental health cases, I'm not trying to get someone committed or get them help for narcissistic personality disorder. It's usually schizophrenia, bipolar, schizoaffective disorder, things like that. It's really the domestic relations part of my practice that this comes into being. But, but so, for example, a grandiose sense of self-importance. The way I see that manifest itself in divorce is if you have a spouse that just wants to control everything, they know better, they're smarter than everybody, they should be recognized as being superior. So control, control, control. And when you take that control away from them in the domestic case or the divorce case, they react in a extreme way. And, And I see that a lot. You, one spouse is used to controlling the other. And when they separate, or the attorney gets involved, the attorney's aggressive enough to stop or at least halt a large part of that control, you really see the other side lash out and react, if you know what I'm saying. Right. 
that's absolutely right. And this is what the DSM-5 and the ICD-10 will not talk about, because those are descriptive mythologies. Those are descriptive. That's a descriptive framework we use to check things off to make sure the person meets enough criteria or ha- you know, meets the threshold for enough to cross over that line toward a formal diagnosis, whether it's depression, a personality disorder, schizophrenia, substance abuse. We descriptively diagnose off of criteria. But what you just suggested there, what you're talking about there is so, so important. It's what's behind what's behind the criteria and what drives person- someone, for example, with a personality disorder, NPD, for example. And I would say this is consistent for all 10 personality disorders, the need to control, the need to control, because really a personality disorder, again, it goes back to fabric, the fabric of who you are. And, you know, we know that they're caused, personality disorders are caused by genetics, they're caused by abuse, they're caused by poor upbringing, all sorts of different factors contribute to, you know, why the personality disorder happened or, or what will happen for the person to get there. And we know that when you have that kind of significant mental illness, you're compensating for a lot. And you don't have an internal strong self. You don't have the internal resources to manage your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors in an intimate relationship or while raising kids or being in a marriage or even as an employee. You don't have the resources to manage yourself and you react strongly when you don't have control. Because really what's behind control is the perception of threat. When a spouse feels threatened or their control is threatened, right? That's when you're really going to see really the worst behavior, the worst sort of reactions from somebody with a personality disorder, right? And because really they don't, they have a poorly integrated self in the world. They're going through life, right? As they, they can and control the big part of how they roll, right? And how they function. And so when they're challenged, right? And because they don't have those internal resources, one of the go-tos for them is to react or to try to, in a disordered way, get the control back. So, for example, I'll give you a real-time example from my practice from this week. I have a, a child patient that I treat, and he's kind of in the middle of this sort of storm that we're talking about where the divorce has happened, and now they're, the parents are co-parenting or trying to co-parent, but the father does have NPD. And actually, he was formally diagnosed with MP, NPD during a custody evaluation. And so let me give you an example of how when a person like that isn't in control, what can happen? So this father, because of his style, right, is dropping off the son late all the time. He's supposed to drop off at a certain time, and he's sometimes two or three hours late. And again, you know, he lacks empathy or the care for where his kids are, where they need to be, where his wife is, his ex-wife, that is. And so he shows up when he wants to show up. And this, of course, puts a strain on all of his relationships with his kids and his wife in that moment. And the wife and ex-wife, and I don't think she did anything wrong here, but yeah, she's in a complex relationship with her ex-spouse. And she, she said to him, hey, listen, we have to be downtown in D.C. meeting up with a group of friends with the kids, and we're running late now. And that's all she said. But his perception of that, because of his condition, this father's perception was so different, right? And he felt challenged and he felt threatened by her. And he felt that she was challenging his control of the moment. And he became very upset with her. He raged at her, which is common with with folks with narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder. They call it narcissistic rage, actually. And he raged and he tried in his own way to get control back, to rationalize, to justify why he was late. So those are real time. It's a real time moment within my practice this week where 
this mom really didn't do anything or this ex-spouse didn't do anything wrong. She just confronted him on his need to have things his way, which didn't really work for her, for the kids or for the family. But from his narcissistic point of view, that challenge was too much for him. That confrontation really is more of a clarification, but he perceived it as a threat to his control. And, and then, of course, the reactivity and the anger and the rage followed. That seeks exactly the kind of thing that I see when, when you have an NPD spouse and they lose control. Another one I think that's really common in domestic relations and divorce cases that I see, you know, one of the criteria is the sense of entitlement with unreasonable expectations. You know, statistically across the United States, over 90% of divorces settle. And it's, you know, in mediation and other things help push that amount up. So that's a kind of an old statistic, but I, I'd say it's, it's well over the vast majority of cases that actually end up settling and very small number go to trial. But if you have somebody with NPD traits or actually suffers from NPD and they have unreasonable expectations, the chances of you settling with them are going to get so much harder because they think that they should be getting things in court from a judge that they have either no chance of getting or that they're at very little chance of getting. And they're just not going to negotiate from a standpoint of good faith or health <laughs> even. So I see that all the time where right. attorneys are giving decent legal advice and, and they're hearing the right thing and everybody else but this one narcissist knows that this is what's going to happen if it goes to court and they just won't listen. And they drive up everybody's costs and they end up, end up taking the case to court and getting hit pretty hard because of their mental condition. And, uh, and that, that's another area I see a lot of NPD well, have its impact. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to the process of attrition, whether you're a husband or a wife and you're married. But you know, it doesn't matter if you're married to someone with a personality disorder or, or you're the child of someone with a personality disorder. There's a process of attrition. You, you get so worn out by that person. Emotionally and during divorce, yes, financially, right? That person, because they, their perceived threat or their, their, loss, their perceived loss of control is going to do whatever he or she can to get that control back, even if it's very distorted, illogical, and it really is all about emotion, right? And so what I often tell my, my clients who come in or my patients or the parents I see is I say, look, you have to, if you're, if you're divorcing someone with NPD or even just the traits and the traits, if the traits are bad enough, and you're divorcing that person, you know, you have to look at the divorce and then the co-parenting that's going to follow. You, know, you got you to you gotta look at your problems within that context, right? I mean, the person you're divorcing isn't going to change. This is, again, right. the fabric, probably during the co-parenting, right? You know, and a lot of parents or, or, they've, or they've, they've already changed, and that's why you're getting divorced. <laughs> right? No, exactly. And a lot of parents, they keep saying, you know, and what did Einstein say the definition of insanity is, right? Expecting the same thing over and over again with a different outcome. A lot of parents will say to me, and I get it, and I empathize with these parents, you know, he did this again, or he did that again, or he did this again. So I think you have to accept that that's the person you married, that's the person you divorced, and that's the person you're going to have to co-parent with for many years. So just back to the example of the father and mother and child I'm working with from this week, back to that example briefly. You know, so what's the solution there? The mother could call a lawyer like you, right, John, and say, hey, can you believe this? My ex-husband did this again, John, and we have to send a letter to him or his attorney. We have to file motions. He's been late seven times. That, that's an approach, sure. But if we know that the individual with NPD is probably not going to change much, may not, fixing it or this one moment 
uh, you know, regarding pickups or drop-offs, maybe it gets a little better with the attorney, you know, sort of uh, proactively attacking it or, you know, maybe, or maybe it just moves, it probably just moves to somewhere else, right? Some other territory of control. So I think the better approach for that parent or that mother in this case is to say, well, if you know he's always going to be an hour or two late, then you you need to compromise in there. You need to figure out, you know, maybe don't schedule something. If you think if the drop-off is noon and you got to be in D.C. at 1, but you know he's consistently an hour or two late, don't upset yourself, your child, him even, right? Don't schedule something at, at 1 in D.C. Then cushion yourself if you know he's going to be late. That doesn't mean you can't assert yourself still and say, hey, listen, I really need you to be on time. Or, But don't put those additional demands or pressures on yourself or your children or your ex-spouse who, who for whatever reason, can't seem to drop off. And so the new approach is with his family, and it seems to already be working, is, hey, this is his style, right? It may be part of his disorder. I can continue to get upset. I can continue to call my attorney. I can continue to file motions, or I can just work with the landscape. I can work with who's across from me, and I need to compromise probably a lot in those moments. And that's a key for this discussion is that, you know, the non-personality disorder parent does carry the heavy load does carry the heavy load to understand, accept, and let go, right? And and compromise much more than the parent who can't. I think the, the other thing I'd add to that is when you do have unreasonable expectations and you talked a little bit about change, I have noticed in these cases that pretty much everyone in a marriage changes over time. And they either change into someone you still love and you still want to be with, or they change into somebody you don't love anymore or that doesn't love you anymore. Right. And that's uh, part of the reason you get divorced. And if you have a personality disorder like NPD, where you have a grandiose sense of self-importance and you're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, those changes are going to be changes that you just don't love anymore. And really, it, it really comes down to sort of the same thing. If you get someone help in time, you can salvage relationships, you can salvage a marriage, you can salvage their life. But when, when things go untreated for so long, the consequences are disastrous, including a loss of marriage. That's right. And a lot of parents have a hard time, understandably, have a hard time hearing that and then making adjustments as needed. Because understandably, you know, the non-personality disorder spouse it, it has been wrong in so many ways, probably for so many years, right? So it's difficult, you know, when I say to this mom, for example, hey, dig deep and try to compromise. Well, she's been probably doing that for a long time. And I always say, I am the prize though. I am the prize because if dad's left at left, less upset at drop-off and you're less upset at drop-off, guess who else is less, less upset? Your kids. Guess who aren't in the middle? As much as we can, we don't want them to be in the middle. So we know with NPD, dads and moms with NPD can be very reactive, very harsh, very angry with their children when they get triggered by their ex-spouse. So when it's difficult, and as difficult as it must be for a non-personality parent, parent to hear these sorts of requests or these sorts of creative ideas around compromising, around working with the person across from you, even if it's very difficult, the prize is you know, your, your kid's well-being. The prize is really, over time, them understanding things, and they will. You know, Kids don't stay kids forever, right? Childhood turns right. into adolescence, adolescence turns into adults. Hood, and eventually your kids are going to see what's what. And much as we can during the storm of divorce and 
and tough co-parenting that follows with someone with NPD. As much as we can, we want to protect our kids. And those creative, compromising approaches are so important. And you know what? I'll add that they work. You know, I, I, I've been doing this for about 20 years, and I'll tell you, and I'm not saying that a parent should just take poor treatment, because if, if the treatment is bad enough, you know, maybe they do need to call you, and maybe we do need to go back to court. But if they can right. work with the person across from them who is compensating because of the disorder, who is fragile, who is reactive, that person, all, you know, not all the time, but can grow, can maybe not completely change can soften. And we know from the research that individuals with personality disorders do soften over time as they get older. So I have seen that happen time and time again, where when the parent who can, who doesn't have the disorder, works extra hard not to trigger, not to challenge, not to confront, right? The other parent, you know, hopefully that parent is doing some therapeutic work too, parents who have the more complex personality style does start to soften, can come around, right? when they don't feel so threatened, when they don't feel the need to be in such control, right? So paradoxically, right, the compromising creative approach, you know, can bring about success too. Right. The last thing I'll point out how this impacts your your divorce, your domestic case. One of the things that I hear all the time is you know, one of the criteria for NPD being lacks empathy. When you lose empathy for your spouse or your or even your children, God forbid, Dealing with that person in a case becomes more about an, an enemy versus enemy than just you know a dispute yeah. between two divorcing spouses, and it becomes very serious. And it's really, really serious in the sense that you know if you have no empathy for someone you used to love or who at least you have children with or or at least used to to like very much, uh, there's a lot of marriages that unfortunately didn't start on the right foot. You're really going to be more inc- inclined to spend the money to fight get your lawyer and, and, and go to war. And that's, that's certainly something that I see a lot of people just fighting for the sake of fighting their divorce and using their lawyer as a surrogate for their own anger and their own lack of empathy. Right. And it's back to the process of attrition, because by the time they, that mom or that dad finds you or me, oftentimes it's, it's not that it's too late. It's too late for the marriage for sure. But that person has been through so much and they need so much support and care and attention just to heal, you know? And that's why I often tell my clients, and you probably tell your clients the same, self-care is so important when being married, when divorcing, and when, you know, afterwards, when co-parenting with a parent with serious mental illness of any kind, not just personality disorders, of any kind, that self-care is so important because you're not going to be with your children all the time. That dad or that mom is going to be with your children at times. And that's that's anxiety producing, that's upsetting, right? That can be very triggering for the non-personality disorder parent. So, you know, that self-care, you know, is so important. And therapeutic care, you know, getting the attention, you know, you need and the help you need from a therapist, an attorney, psychiatrist if needed, right? If medications are needed, that's very important, that self-care portion of it too. Is there treatment for narcissistic personality disorder? There isn't a formal treatment and a formal solution to it like there is some of the other conditions. So, for example, borderline personality disorder, there is a treatment for that, dialectical behavioral therapy. But there isn't really a formal treatment for narcissistic personality disorder. But you can apply those same techniques and those same strategies. But again, in my experience, 
This isn't, again, going back to DSM-5 or the ICD-10, which, again, are more descriptive tools that we use to diagnose, right? You meet criteria, you, you get a diagnosis. But it doesn't really describe how it happened or what's behind the diagnosis. In my experience, when you, if you can, and it's difficult, and the person with the personality disorder needs to be ready enough to receive help, when that person comes in and works on him or herself, and when the non-personality disorder parent and that parent are doing well enough so that the personality disorder parent isn't getting triggered, isn't looking for a fight, isn't protecting his or her territory, right? Isn't distorting things as much via yeah, his or her thoughts or feelings. That person can get better. That person does get better with effort. And it does take a long time though, because we're, again, we're talking about, we're talking about fabric, the fabric to who someone is. Personality disorders usually, they, well, they don't. They don't show up suddenly in adulthood. They develop over time from childhood forward. And so fixing the fix, the idea that the person will get better, that can happen with a lot of time, soft rolling things through compromise, through creative approaches, family work, if the person is willing to do that. But it, it does take a lot of time, you know, compared to the other mental health disorders, like, let's say, OCD, you know, let's, let's say somebody doesn't want to get on an elevator. Well, well that, that can be very painful. But the elevator is there, the person's there, the therapist is there with exposure work and with strategies, that symptom-based problem will correct. To really rework someone's fabric takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but I have seen individuals with, with NPD, BPD, OCPD get better. It just it takes several years to really accomplish that. And you know what else helps? is time. Time helps. I should mention that because that's important. The NPD patient will tell you, the reason I'm reacting this way is because of her or because of him. But as, as right. the child grows out, of, and maybe there is some justification at times for, for the feelings, maybe not the intense reaction or the behaviors, but the feelings, you know, the feelings are valid for that person, even if they're distorted. But as that child grows out of childhood and grows into adolescence and adulthood, and as those parents don't need the co-parent as actively, right, that also gives the mom or dad with the personality disorder more space, less internal pressure to work with, right? There's less of a need to react, right? And maybe we should talk a little bit about that, sort of how do we structure, because we can't wait for adulthood, right? Somebody comes into your office and my office and, and the kid's 11 and, and the dad or mom has NPD. We can't wait for adulthood to happen. We have to do certain things. So one of the things, maybe we should talk about this, that I introduce right away is the idea of structure. And beyond acceptance, beyond managing expectations, there's structure. What kind of co-parenting, you know, let's, let's, let's say we get through the storm of divorce, what kind of co-parenting relationship can you realistically have with this dad or this, with this mom? And maybe it's right. more of a parallel one, right? Not an active one with lots of texts and phone calls and get-togethers, which is more fluid. Some people can do that. But folks with personality disorders have a harder time with that fluidity, right? And, and so do the ex-spouses and the kids. Maybe, you know, the idea of structure is so important here for this discussion. You know, how do we communicate? Do we use a parenting app where everything is written down? How do we co-parent? Is it more in a parallel way? We really don't communicate much beyond that parenting app. And that usually is what works best, is a more structured parallel co-parenting plan. Right. And sometimes you just have to hire an aggressive attorney who knows this stuff to just let a judge decide because sometimes there's just no reasoning with them and 
you know, you often will have to come in and testify as these things that educate said judges on, on these things. And it's, they're just some cases that have to go forward because you're just dealing with someone with such a serious personality disorder that you're just not going to reason with them. Well, that's a good segue, Mike, into borderline personality disorder, which is another pervasive disorder that, that I hear a lot of people come in and talk to their spouse, talk about their spouse and assign this is the reason for certain behaviors. Here's the criteria that I've I sort of, when, when someone comes and talks to me about borderline personality disorder, I ask them, is this what you see in them? Emotional instability, meaning right. really, really extreme reaction to things that happen in their life, problems with self-image or self, sense of self, lots of different discussion about how terrible I am and how horrible I am. Impulsive behaviors is probably the biggest one that I see. Promiscuity, overspending to a level you know, that's chronic, you know, reckless driving, drinking a lot. That's kind of the one I, I see the most when, when, when people are accusing their spouses of borderline personality disorder. Intense anger, temper, physical fights, things that you know happen in unfortunate domestic violence situations. It's a lot of times I see just kind of really unstable and intense interpersonal relationships. Just really everybody around them is a threat or a reason for their bad luck in life and, and leading to such things as suicidal behavior, even suicidal thoughts right. and just these stress relating a stress, just exacerbating it. So when I see people, when people come in and they say borderline personality disorder, I researched it. Those are kind of the big ones I look at as the sort of the criteria. Okay. Well, let's, let's take this to the next level. Let's not just say that this is just you being petty about your spouse you no longer get along with there's some real stuff here we really ought to have a mental health evaluation or something do it would you say that's accurate and what you look for when trying to diagnose this oh yeah i mean that, that those are the criteria you hit it spot on and unlike well I, I would say unlike some of the other personality disorders like schizoid personality disorder more the anxious ones or even ocpd what BPD and NPD have in common is often those people are really initially attracted to us, right? And the person with BPD is so can be can have a huge usually does have a very big personality and style. They're often described as being dramatic and intense, but they're not stable, right? Dramatic and intense may be fun for five minutes, but I don't know. You, know, you need to be stable in a, in a relationship and, you, and, and as a parent in a marriage, right, for it to work. I think it's important to point out why those symptoms for both NPD and BPD can be so off-putting. I get and I understand why a lot of people marry folks with uh, personality disorders. They can look very attractive. I mean, one of my favorite examples, just back to NPD for a moment, is Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, the movie Wall Street from many years ago, right, with um, Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen. You know, as as the movie greed is good, greed is good, right? Gordon Gecko, as, as you as the movie unfolds and you get to watch this guy, you, you like him less and less. But initially, I mean, Charlie Sheen was attracted to him, right? As, as he wanted a piece of the pie, he wanted what he had, right? That power, that wealth, that style and class. But really, what was behind that really was was not good was a guy with NPD who eventually self-destructed. And that's what happens with most people with NPD or BPD, is they can't keep it together. They can't sustain a marriage. They can't. That's why they jump around from job to job to job. They can't sustain a position 
because of those internal compromises, right? But that's the list for BPD, and um, it's a double-edged sword to be married to someone like that. Initially, it's attractive, it can be, but over time, it becomes very painful. You mentioned previously that there actually was treatment for BPD. Can you expand on that a little bit? Right. So, and I would argue that you can use that treatment for the other personalities as well. I mean, it was really a treatment developed by Marsha Linehan. She was really a frontierswoman for this sort of work and a leader in our field when it comes to personality disorders. And she created a treatment that really, because again, personality disorders come down to really have to do with a person's fabric. You know, the fabric of who they are, how they think, feel, and then how they behave after that. And so what dialectical behavioral therapy does is it challenges or it challenges those distortions, those cognitive distortions and those cognitive, those distorted feelings. And it helps the individual to slowly over time reframe how they experience themselves internally and in relation to others. Again, that's a, that's a big commitment, right? It's a big treatment. It takes time, but it's very effective. It is extremely effective. So if you have BPD or if you're married to someone with BPD, BPD and you're listening to this, there is treatment out there, effective treatment. Uh, you know, the research studies have shown time and time again, DBT works a lot, works very well for BPD. Not all at once. It, it does take time, right? Because the, the work is intensive. But yeah, there is a treatment for it. And I would argue that folks with NPD over time and with effort can get better as well. When you encounter young adults with either of these personality disorders and some of the traits are, are you see them coming on, because I think you had said that it develops over time. So it would be young adulthood when you really start to see this, I would think. Is that correct? That's right. And technically, we are not, as mental health professionals, the field, those in the field are not allowed to really diagnose the personality disorder before 18 years of age. That doesn't mean there aren't precursors to it, right? Like um, symptoms and behaviors and indicators that sort of, yeah, sort of suggest that within a period of time, the person is going to meet criteria. But the field, our field respectfully tries to give development enough time to correct whatever there before going to that very big label. Because again, personality disorder is a serious form of mental illness. And right. So once you have that disorder, if you truly have it, that's a lifelong condition unless you unless you can be in that group that gets better. But, you know, uh, and let me just add this, if I can, John, person with NPD or BPD or any personality disorder is not a bad person. Right. I mean, there's a backstory to why they have that. It's in part we believe in part it's genetic. We believe in part it's upbringing, abuse, trauma, different sort of factors can contribute. So these kids growing up who become complicated later or where their personalities become complicated later, they didn't sign up for that, right? So these people aren't bad people. It's the behaviors. It's the way they function that's bad. And that's that's where, you know, and I try to share that idea as much as I can with the non-personality disorder parents who come in here to try to get them to, worn out as they might be as parents or as ex-spouses, to just appreciate, to have some empathy, and to try to work creatively in the service of you know what's best for their kids anyway, right? A calm life, calm co-parenting. But it really is what's bad is the condition, but not the person. You know, I actually have great empathy for people who are going through this. I don't think anybody signs up for a personality disorder, right? No question. 
Absolutely. Mental health is mental health. And someone who is violent because they happen to suffer from schizophrenia or acts inappropriately because they happen to suffer from some other disorder of any kind is still and needs right, help. Right. And, and that's, and, that, and that's, that's why, you know, I kind of wanted to do this episode because I hear so much of this NPD and, and BPD and really make sure that there's an understanding that it is a mental health issue and not just something that makes someone a bad person. Now, let me just close with this, Mike, my advice to someone who is, someone comes to me and says, my husband's a narcissist. It really is going to depend for me from the legal perspective, more about what the goals of the client are to accomplish, how many kids there are, what kind of custody they're looking for, what the financial part of the divorce would be. And I'm going to advise them subject to the fact that one of the factors I've got to deal with in getting to the client to their goals is their spouse has narcissistic personality disorder. Similarly, if someone comes in and says, my wife's a borderline and I'm going to advise them, I'm going to advise them subject to, well, this is how your divorce will proceed. This is what the law is. This is how I think it's going to come out subject to there's this other factor out there that the other side has BPD or at least has criteria for it. So that that's kind of how I handle it. And someone's going to get legal advice for me that's going to be similar to any other case, but just subject to the existence of these mental health issues. What's the best advice if you if you could to someone who's dealing with the spouse that has one of these personality disorders or a personality disorder, what's the best advice you could give to them for getting through it and getting to a point where they can, they can manage, manage their life and, and get through the difficulty that, that, that it brings? Well, the number one recommendation is to get your kids the help, help and support they need because the most important people here mm-hmm. are, right, are the little ones, are the kids, right, that didn't sign up for this either, right? They're in the middle of the storm and they don't quite get it or they're on the receiving end of someone's mental health illness. And so getting your kids in therapy as quickly as you can is my first recommendation. My second would be to get yourself and maybe even that difficult spouse or that spouse that may have a mental health condition into therapy too. And then get a great lawyer. I mean, really, because if you're divorcing somebody who's that complex, it's not going to be an amicable divorce. If it wasn't an amicable marriage, how's it going to be an amicable? You're divorcing the same person you were married to. And if it was as bad as it was, you're probably going to need a lot of help, therapeutic and legal. Right. And then when you and I, John, have been in the courtroom many times together, and I'm always impressed with how well, and your background is in mental health law. You have background in different areas. And you're able to read, you know, that's why I say a great lawyer. I, I would put you in that category, man. You are able to read these moments and to advise parents for when can we work with the dynamic without exploding things? You know, do we need a full-blown custody evaluation? Well, sometimes you do. When the parent with a mental health issue cannot stop him or herself from behaving poorly and from harming the kids emotionally or physically, you may need to right. do something like that. You, right. You're very good. You're excellent at reading the moment and then slowly advising the parent. And then if you have to pick up speed based on problems that occur, then you, you then adjust. But um, those would be the recommendations. Get therapeutic help first and get a good legal advisor to advise along the way. And that those therapists and that attorney is going to adjust as needed based on how the personality disorder parent behaves, right? Right. Thank you for, for those kind words. And, and yes, I mean, the fact that, that I, I do a lot of cases that involve mental health is very helpful to 
especially my domestic relations and divorce practice. But one of the things I would add to that is you have to be as an attorney able to work with the professionals that actually get your evidence in, which is someone like you, which is why you know you and I work together so much because you're so great at testifying and you're absolutely down the middle. You've been on the other side of cases with me saying bad things about my clients and been on the same side saying good things and right. signing blame to both. And, that, and that's what you need. You need a lawyer and a mental health professional that can really do the work that needs to be done because you know judges have lots of power. They get to make decisions that affect you and your children's lives and maybe for the rest of their lives. And you got to have those professionals behind you and working with you that can do it. And speaking of which, Mike, if if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, talk to you about this or any other issue involving their family or mental condition, can you give us uh, your contact information? No, absolutely. Thank you, John. My office number is 703-723-2999, 703-723-2999. And I'm with Ashburn Psychological and Psychiatric Services. What's the website there? It, yeah, the URL is uh, www.ashburn, A-S-H-B-U-R-N, and then psych, P-S-Y-C-H, dot com. Dr. Michael Oberschneider, thank you so much for being here. Looking forward to having you back on again as soon as possible. Hey, John, thanks so much for having me, and, and congratulations on all your good work and growth. Thank you. The Mind Itself podcast is unique in that we look at the intersection between mental health and the law and how it impacts you. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave a comment, rate, and review, and share with someone you know. Thanks for listening.